0: Listening to InRay from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of InRay features insights from experts across the world into the most complex issues facing legal and compliance professionals today. This is Akash Brahmachari and this is Dispute Diaries, a series from INRE. Dispute Diaries is a podcast exploring the world of disputes, investigations, and litigation support. The UK Supreme Court has held that many litigation funding arrangements are damages-based agreements and therefore must comply with the relevant regulatory regime. In a July 2023 ruling, commonly known as the PACAR case, it determined that LFAs are basically DBAs. In this episode, we take a look at what the UK Supreme Court's recent decision on funding arrangements means for the litigation funding sector, its implications on ongoing matters, and how it impacts the future of the funding sector. I'm joined today by Fraser Mitchell, A partner at Armstrong Teasdale, who has acted in a range of complex cross border disputes for a variety of clients. He is named in the Legal 500, where he is described as very sharp and commercially driven, a real pleasure to work with, and someone who is always ready to help and is full of good humor. Welcome, Fraser. Thanks very much, Kash. We are also joined today by JP Pitt, director at Hereford Limited. JP is a funder, he's an experienced investment and project manager, as well as a multifunctional team leader. He trained as a lawyer at Bird and Bird and has worked in the litigation finance sector since 2017. He has a particular focus on funding multi-jurisdictional asset recovery and judgment enforcement. Welcome, JP. Hi, Akesh. Thanks for bringing me along. Thank you for joining. And finally, we have Ramon Ghosh, who is a partner and head of Control Risks Investigations Practice for Europe, Middle East and Africa. He is a former lawyer and has over 20 years of dispute support and investigations experience. He has worked on numerous cross border asset recovery matters and is ranked in the Chambers and Partners Guide for Litigation Support and Business Intelligence in the UK. Welcome, Ramon.
1: Thanks, Akash.
0: Fraser, let's jump straight in then. Can you help unpack Packer for us and demystify the recent judgment for our listeners? Absolutely. So it's been unpacked to death, I think. (laughs) And there are multiple very good commentaries online
2: which give you a good analysis and, and summation of the case. I think for the purposes of the discussion today, the key point that I think we're really getting from this is that there's a certain type of LFA, which is no longer enforceable, and that is an LFA based on a multiple of damages. and These are very common in, in funding agreements, um, which typically operate alongside the equivalent provided by funder, and JP will know far more about this, which is a, a, a multiple of the capital deployed. Mm-hmm. So. In essence, the position is that the, where you have a DBA arrangement in your LFA, which can operate alongside the multiple mm-hmm. um, alternative, as I, as, I, as I said, those are unenforceable as they stand. So that's it in a nutshell. And I don't think we need to be going over the analysis provided already in depth, uh, because I, th- I think it'll move away from the more interesting parts of today's conversation, uh, which are the, the fallout, the outcomes, the likely trajectories, and, and what comes next off the back of this.
3: Well, I think I think one of the key points to make on that actually and fraser you're absolutely right that the key concern is where your entitlement as a funder so your upside uh-huh. after you get your capital back is your percentage of the damages that's really where funders are now seen to be claims managers, and that's where you trigger the dba regulations so that's what that's what we've fallen foul of if you yeah. like but I, and I agree with your point there is a lot of very worthy analysis, a lot of thinking around it, but it's a bit like a snow globe. Someone's sort of shaken it and gone, yeah. right, okay. Um, and we're all waiting for the dust to settle or the snowflakes to settle, I guess. Yeah, um, quite.
2: I, I would also add that you know, we've, we've used some pejorative terms to describe the nature of the decision. It's not a criticism of litigation funding as a concept. Everyone in the legal profession continues to recognise the importance of what litigation funding provides, not least in access to justice, but also in the commerciality and viability of claims. It's a good thing litigation funding exists. It's just an interpretation of regulations, which were always recognised as being somewhat ambiguous. There's, a, there's other cases that refer to the 2013 DBA regs as being not the draftsman's finest moment. So it's not as if this was unforeseen. Um, I think there's it's been a reckoning for a while
3: well, I think you're right on that, sorry to, no, no please. kind of got kind of across, but I, I think I think broadly speaking the the funding world was anticipating a decision broadly similar to this. Um, it's interesting, and I'm sure Fraser will cover this as well it's not a um it's not a unanimous decision right there is a there is a dissenting or op- opposite opinion offered by Lady Rose as well, um, which is which is actually really helpful, and I think essentially. Where where I as a funder see it is, we just need some clarification. Um, and that sorry, that sounds rather glib, but but actually, um, I think it's a regulatory fix, and I think the Supreme Court has sensibly positioned itself, and I think that's very much clearly in their thinking on this decision. It's not that funding's wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't think it's any of that. I think it's more a case of we just need to tighten up the rules. You know, it's been operating under a lacuna for.
2: Correct. I, I think that's right. I think it's a it's a it's a degree of short. It's the imposition of a degree of short term uncertainty to the position, but the project has to be for funders now to 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 lobby and and do whatever they can to get in place the longer term certainty by way of the legislation. Well, I think for, I think it's for all of us
3: to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, um, th- I mean, what do you think, Robert? Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I think that lack of clarity is, is one of the kind of key points which could actually affect the access to justice. And I think the snow globe is a fantastic analogy one which I wish I'd come up with myself. <laughs> um, I take full credit. <laughs> yeah. no, <you> <laughs> How often I get that thank you. Um, and, and look, I mean, I think that if this led to any dispute between a funder and a claimant, then that could be extremely disruptive to an asset recovery case. It could be fatal. And, you know, one of the main themes, as you know, as an investigator is looking at um, monitoring any asset dissipation during the course of a, a matter. And if there's a gap in investigators or brought in too late, then that really could be disruptive we talked um, earlier today about, you know, where you've got a respondent in a civil case. If that opened up a gap and there could be dissipation, then again, you know, the assets have got away from you.
3: Well, and that's vital. Yeah, It's that golden thread, right? You want continuity as much as possible. So that's something I look for as a funder with, with those, particularly the, the the hard end sort of thing that, that people like you work on. Continuity yeah. is absolutely vital.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and look, I mean, we, we worked on a... On a recent case whereby you know we were instructed to look at a counterparty, it was intelligence as well as as research, and our intelligence led us to believe that um, you know the the counterparty was actually going to sell some of its you know high high you know net worth properties on the open market, which was you know thirty million pounds worth, which we were able to actually get a freezing order over, working with external counsel. But if there been a gap. investigators if we've been brought in late if the assets had not been monitored then the dissipation would have happened and that point would have been too late
3: that's yeah and that's that's totally disrupt i mean actually on on all parts that's deeply frustrating and it only serves the respondent as you say i mean for you as a professional investigator that's really frustrating for the claimant it's commercially fatal
2: yeah yeah absolutely i mean there are there's a short-term fix here and uh, everyone will be aware of it, is, and that is the severability of the unenforceable clauses in the agreement. I know that there'll be letters flying all over the city and beyond from respondents writing in respect of funding agreements that they're aware of in their claims, asking as to the status of their enforceability. And the, the, the short-term answer is that nearly all these clauses, which are unenforceable, should be severable. So that is a short-term patch to the problem the issue then becomes the viability of the funding itself. Because if the DBA is deemed to be far more profitable as a metric or likely to be more profitable in respect of the the context of the funding agreement, and that no longer exists, well, the funder is going to have to go to his investors and say, well, hold on, the parameters of this particular investment have completely changed and the funding may no longer be viable. And I guess that goes to, to your point, Ramon, which was, well, uh, all of a sudden that that goes in deeper into the investment and causes the, uh, uh, the fundamentals of the investment either case to be jeopardized. Um, well, it's timing, isn't it?
3: It's, it, it's, it's, where are you in, in the process? And, and let's be clear if, if, if you're on an asset recovery exercise and, and let's just say you're, this blows up just as you're seeking, um, either a freezing order or even a final discharge order, that could be really unhelpful. Mm. And I can see a circumstance, and I'm not sure if this has really been investigated. But I'm sure there's lots of better minds than mine working on it furiously. Is if that if that happens, um, what does the funder do? Because let's be clear, you're very clear as well on this phrase that that it's the the percentage entitlement that's going to be carved out, but and and so you've got an unenforceable aspect of a contract that is still legal and is not void. So under that, a funder has advanced probably quite a lot of money, depending where you are in the process. But as you know, as, as I say, and to your point, Ramon, if this comes at a really sort of critical moment in the whole project, mm. actually, the only person that benefits is the respondent, because yeah. suddenly the cost goes up. When you must have been in circumstances where either you stepped in or someone has stepped in on a project that that's that's ongoing, right? I mean, it's disruptive
1: yeah absolutely um and look i i think that's you know one of the things we we've discussed earlier and you know is a way in which i think that the industry has changed hugely is just how investigators are used on these cases um which has changed hugely over the last five to ten years in that previously we've been siloed so we've often been used actually when a judgment has been um has been passed down And, you know, it might end up being a paper judgment of your enforcing assets in a very, you know, high risk or difficult jurisdiction. Whereas now we're seeing a lot more of the kind of, you know, the front loading of claims and investigators that enables us to actually to go in and get the low hanging fruit, which might seem easy at the outset, but the longer you wait, the more difficult it becomes. So it's kind of working collaboratively and alongside with a task force of sorts. And that's lawyers, it's litigation funders, it's investigators, which will be Intelligence professionals, accountants, but also you know using expert witnesses at an early stage, and also you know PR specialists as needs be. So I think that's important. I hope that the lack of clarity around this ruling um, and any indecisiveness doesn't affect that dynamic, because as you say, it's only really going to benefit a respondent.
2: I think that's right, and you've just described what I would call the modern approach to litigation, which isn't really silos anymore, as you say. It's a joined, joined up approach. And the better the team you have in that respect, the better it is for the claimant, and the and the, the more straightforward it is for a funder to provide a yes or no in respect of funding claims or not. I think it's really interesting the the role that investigations plays in these kinds of cases now, because in actual fact, for all the the legal ease that goes into uh, theorising a claim, in reality you have to start at the back end, which is mm-hmm. to identify recoverability mm-hmm. of assets, and. Uh, and as, as, to tie this back into funding, funders typically offer uh, uh, seed funding for that kind of work if if there's a viable claim there. The uncertainty created in the present conditions probably makes it less likely, I, and JP, please come back at me if you disagree, less likely that, that capital we, will be deployed quickly and there'll be, or, or I suspect, if, if you can allow me to finish yeah. the waffle, yeah. <laughs> uh, I suspect funders will be more cautious in the capital deployment of their... Of their um,
3: I mean funders are cautious anyway, let's let's be honest. I, I suspect the deep frustration for, 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 for you chaps as practitioners and service providers is how long it takes some like me to come back once we've once we've positively said yes, this is an opportunity we'd we'd like to back, how long it takes to get the contracts sorted. Yeah. And clearly in your mind is well, what, what's gonna happen now in the sort of post PACAR world? Well well. With new stuff um, or new opportunities, um, it's probably going to be well. Is it governed by you know? Are we dealing with English litigation? Question mm-hmm. one.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: If we are, then we we need to figure out how we draft the contract such that that works. What's not clear is um, if could you, for instance, fund English an English litigation or dispute with a different jurisdiction governed funding agreement? I suspect not is the answer for the time being, but I'm not sure that's been bottomed out. Now, to your snow globe point, that's certainly some of the flakes that are swirling around that probably need to settle a bit. Uh-huh. Um, so yes, it will take a bit longer. Yeah. Um, to your point about target ends, so starting with outcome, let, let's be fundamentally clear. Um, litigation funding is a commercial proposition. Um, yes, it is. It, it is about access to justice, but that is very clearly one of the main ethical upsides of it, but it, it is done for commercial gain for investors that sit behind me. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we have to act prudently and cautiously as an investment professional in, in, in that sense. Um, so there's no point, the case might be brilliant legally, and it, it might be as close as you'll ever get to a slam dunk. And you might think, brilliant, the judge will be with us on all the points. But this is where Ramon and, and Akash, this is where you come in, right? Which is sitting there going, I sit there and say to you, okay, that's great. So we're going to win a hundred million pound judgment. Mm-hmm. Where's the hundred million pounds coming from? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree that's, with that. That's, that's the first question I always ask, if yeah. I'm honest. And,
2: and rightly so. And this this leads me into what is probably the more the most interesting point, which is the wider context of this, right? So if you were looking at a fraud claim traditionally, you'd look to ground it in England and Wales. And mm. if there are assets abroad, you'd look to get freestanding relief in the other jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wonder now if, if, if funders would be looking to ground the claims in other more attractive jurisdictions. And two questions come out of that. One, is it the case that funders are actively looking to put new jurisdiction governing law clauses into their contract? And is it then the case as a corollary of that, that funds will actually migrate to other jurisdictions in view of this until this lacuna, to use your phrase, has been... Has been remedied.
3: Um, I mean, to to be honest, there are plenty of funders in other jurisdictions. You know, there's 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 plenty of very well established, very respectable, good funders on on the continent already, uh, in Germany and Switzerland Mm -hmm. and and France um, and and other places, uh, Italy, for instance. So that's you don't necessarily need the migration. The work could go there. Um, I think it's more a wider point, which is. Is is England and Wales still an attractive, if funding is no longer a, 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 as feasible or viable as once previously thought, does that impact the sorts of instructions that you're going to get? Um, I mean, in terms of selecting governing, governing law clauses and jurisdiction, what have you, um, you could, and quite a lot of funders fund globally from London. So for instance, if you're in Australia, you're funding agreement will probably be governed by Australian law or an arbitration clause that's acceptable under Australian law or something similar. Mm -hmm. So yes, is the short answer to your question. Um, With the asset, just, just thinking on my feet very quickly about the asset recovery type things, I can see a circumstance, for instance, where actually, let's say you get the bankruptcy judgment or the bankruptcy required in England, and then you transfer that to another jurisdiction where... Uh, Akash and Ramon, you've you've identified assets and, and you your point is, well, actually, it's a reasonable jurisdiction to go after it. We think there's a good chance of recovery.
1: Yeah.
3: Um yeah. actually, you might say to the claimant, well, look, to the extent you can fund this piece, we can we can warm a funder up to help with what comes later. And and then you're yeah. up and out of the English legal problem, potentially. Yeah. And, and and I posit that just as a as as I say, as a sort of rather ill-formed thought at the moment, but
1: yeah, and uh, you know, we we've done I guess related work in in that space before, just in terms of like the process mapping of how does enforcement take place in another jurisdiction. Um, at I guess a maybe a slightly extreme example, we had a a client who's a financial institution who had an ongoing matter, litigious matter, in a country in the west of Africa. And one of the pieces of work that we did for them was actually just briefing them on what the format of that hearing would be. In the hearing, which was in open court, anybody could approach the judge. So there was a swarm of about 40 wow. people around the judge. And I think if we hadn't briefed the kind of, you know, the, the regional council who's based in London, that that was going to happen and may have been a huge shock. That's fascinating. So, and that's really
3: helpful, sort of what I'd call atmospherics of how it's how things may play out yeah. Because that's quite important
0: in terms of outcome. Absolutely. So the sense I'm getting is there's no doom and gloom really. There's no imminent doom and gloom. There seems to be a way out, but it's just a bit confusing at the it's moment It's uncertainty. It's uncertainty. And
3: and and and, yeah. and to be and to be rather sort of trite about it, humans don't like change. We've right. been working we've been working within a framework for a l- number of years, and um, we've seen this change coming. We've kind of mentally prepared for it, but I think to a certain degree emotionally we haven't. It's still taken us by sort of surprise. Not surprised, but we're still shocked by it. And I think once everyone regroups and gathers around, I think you're right, actually. I think that there is potentially a, a navigable way out of it.
2: Right. I imagine there was an initially very uncomfortable moment mm-hmm. in the litigation funding houses of London when that decision was announced because your brain would be running through the dozens of mm-hmm. finance agreements in place thinking, crikey, how's this going to work? But actually, when you take a step back, you see the road ahead, which is the, the legislative route. And in the meantime, you've got the patchwork of the severability of the unenforceable clauses. But underlying that is a difficult economic question is, are the agreements in place still viable? So that I suspect has been taking up the time of the litigation funding houses at the moment. The reality is for all the gloss, glossy advertising and very nice branding that goes with litigation funding. It's still quite a young market, really, mm-hmm. in comparison to other equivalent investment types. It's matured very quickly, and you see big traditional investment houses. And I'm thinking, for example, Rathbones have taken positions in, in litigation funding, so it is becoming more established. I'm hopeful that the legislation that will come out of the, off the back of this Supreme Court decision will make it even more commonplace and provide the structures for it to grow even more uh, into the normal um discussions around investments in the country.
3: Uh let's be clear, other jurisdictions, you know, Australia went through something very broadly similar about, I'm trying to think now, it must be 2019, they brought in something called the MIS, Managed Investment Scheme Rules, which which applied broadly similar to this pack-up point. It was large group claims. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I I mean I'm I'm out of date. I haven't kept up to speed with Australia as a jurisdiction in, in, in all honesty. But I think I think things have I think those uh, MIS rules have been repealed, but it, it did for a time cause, and, and that 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 genuinely happened much more quickly than this Packard decision mm. happened, I think. Um, but again, you know, the funding market dealt with it. It moved on. Funding is still very much alive and kicking
1: in Australia, for example. Yeah. Do you, do you think, JP, that with the, you know, the, I guess a relative lack of certainty in the very short term, it's going to take um, it, a little bit longer to get funding in place on claims? And I'm asking generally, not in terms of when we're going to get paid. Yeah. I, <laughs> a good point. Um, it's a very good
3: point. Um, and everyone wants to know when they're getting paid. And, and, and um, yeah, I, I mean, the funding funders, the main criticism of funders is we don't move quickly, but mm. it's very difficult for us. To move quickly we have to be sure of what it is we're backing and there are myriad reasons why and 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 the other thing i would ask everyone to remember is when you give us a, a, a sort of lovely package of documents that you've spent months you know weeks if not months working on um and you sort of pull the trigger on it go great you know and, and i a week later you're going jp what do you think i'm sitting there going I've probably got five or six of those maybe all Mm -hmm. coming in at the same time if I'm really unlucky. And so I've got to get through them. The way that I work personally and the way that the team at Hereford works, if I can make that plug, is we we try and get to an early no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And we work on the basis that if we can get you a no within sort of two to three days of it's it's just not going to work for us, and we will try and explain why, at least you've got some certainty. Um, Obviously, when we like it and we're trying to work it through, that takes a bit longer. And the key bit is, we've got to do the due diligence because we've got to act, as I say, as, as I alluded earlier, as a prudent and cautious and sensible investment manager. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't, you know, if, if you put the shoe on the other foot, if I was managing your money, you wouldn't want me just to go, yeah, I'll take a blind bet on that. It feels good, yeah. you know, I like Ramon and Akash, but and and, <laughs> and that 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 is all true. But is yeah. that is that a sound investment theory? Yeah. Um, so short answer is, yeah, I, I think it will. I think it will take a bit longer but it it takes it takes long anyway because yeah. we have to sort of get around it so i don't i don't think i know that you'll see a huge
2: extension of time I and mean, that's interesting i mean that that's also reassuring to lawyers because it does take a long time and i think sometimes it's presented as a quick fix to claims and it's and it's not and it never has mm-hmm. been i think the the lesson from the the ambiguity of the regs is that in a similar way the legislation should take a while to do because there's no good having ambiguous legislation rushed into place. It would be better for them to spend a bit of time to get it right and work with industry experts like yourself. If I can, if I can call you that. Oh dear. <laughs> oh dear.
3: Just to get. The... I, I can imagine the funding market is going. Out. There's no way that man is an expert, which I agree with.
2: Um, to to get it right. And there was another point that actually just arose from your discussion, which I've experienced before, and it's that the solicitor who's introducing the case to the uh, to the funder can't fall into the role of broker. As well, I think that's mm. uh, and that's a. Uh, I, I've seen it a few times where lawyers become almost this middleman, as for the claimant and also the the, the funder, it, and that's a, I think that's a really
3: difficult position. It's tricky. Um, and and sorry, I'm, I'm going to cut across you, but um, from my side of it, and and I agree with everything. it, it, it is tricky for you, Fraser, and, and and for every lawyer to say meet this funder. I've worked with them. What I would say to you is, always have three to five in mind. Um, run them past your client first and explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and y- your client, I'm sure, will ask you, whereas, well, you know, whom have you worked with? Whom do you like? Um, you advise them under that sort of client practitioner um, confidentiality and relationship. Um, and then it's up, up. It's then reliant on funder. And, and I, by the way, you know, chaps Ram, Ramon and uh, Akash, I would say the same to you. I mean, mm. I, I have, I I, I would Perfectly welcome you come to me saying, look, we've got, we've got something live here. We've, to your point, Ramon, we've put the task force together. Yeah. The client is interested in seeking funding. What do you make of this? Yeah. Um, uh, and most funders, you know, and I would go to, you know, the funders that you know, and there's plenty around mm. um, to say, and you will t- find out very quickly. They'll either entertain it and say, "Happy to take a look? Or they'll say, why you bring this to me? It, yeah. It'll be almost
0: binary like that, I should think.
3: Yeah. But it, it, it's always worth, it is always worth bouncing it,
0: I think, quite frankly. Understood. You went there, so I'll hold you to, the, to that, JP. Yeah. Um, how has Hereford dealt with uh, the recent changes? Um, um, and how I, does it compare to other funders that you know about? D- Hereford's quite young,
3: mm-hmm. um, so we don't have a long book. So you know where I'm going with this. If, you, if you're an established funder mm-hmm. with a large book of claims, and let's say five, six years old, um that are ongoing and live yeah. yeah there's there's probably some interesting conversations happening, mm-hmm. and I don't want to queer anyone's pitch by saying any more on it than that from hereford's perspective we've we've had a couple we've dealt with it um but actually we we have a fairly global view as well mm-hmm. um for a small team we we cover a lot of ground and actually i I would say a, a good the lion's share of what we are funding is not really affected by PACAR at this moment.
0: Understood. Um, so, exactly. so we're so we're very lucky in that respect, right? So basically, it depends on the age of the fund and how many cases you have on. And uh, as to what Ramon yeah. said earlier, in terms of what,
3: what where are we at? You know, it could be really disruptive. And actually, I think there's probably some hard conversations, but that they, they should be adult ones between claimant, funder, and, and legal team. Yeah. That would be my point.
0: Yeah, and Fraser, have you seen any changes on any matters you're working on?
2: I think um, just if I take a step back to the to the industry level, as a put, and then I'll comment on my own firm. If you look at law firms' profitability over the last ten to fifteen years, it's one of the few industries that has successively increased its profitability, and that is grounded on increasing rates with clients. Now, there's been a rise of trends in, in certain spheres of law, which is now derived on fixed fees. So you do your work for a fixed fee and that's it capped. Litigation has survived that for the most part because it's unpredictable, because it's very complex, it's esoteric, it's high risk. Um, that is increasingly changing. I think clients expect you to provide fee estimates that are reliable and to meet the- As sus- see funders. <laughs> well, quite, yeah, quite. And to meet the sustained profitability of the, of the Of the profession, you have to be creative, you have to be flexible with the way you approach cases. It's no longer good enough to go to sophisticated clients and say to them, here's my hourly rate, like it or lump it. You have to offer them deals. You have to offer them, as I say, flexibility and funding fits into that. So will this case law affect the importance in the market uh, of of litigation funding as an option presented to clients? No, because we've already got a short-term fix. It will, as I, as I think I've said earlier, it will impact upon the, uh, uh, potentially impact upon the readiness of deployment of capital and the cases at which funders will look at because the, net, the thresholds will necessarily be affected. Yeah, I still think that the practitioners of law are smart enough and commercial enough, some of them, and the funders are smart enough and commercial enough, some of them, to work together to find solutions for clients. And good cases will still get funded in the short term and in the
3: long term. I mean, I think it'll come down to you can have all of nothing or part of something, yeah. I suspect is. And again, you know, it's another trite comment from JP, quite frankly, but it, it, I would say when people step back and get some perspective on it, that's probably the overruling
1: dynamic. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, from our perspective, and, and you know, you, you, you guys are closer to the, the clients and claimants than us, is that it's not like there is a massive abundance of good cases that are just being left. It's a very, very competitive market. You know, the, one of the ways in which I guess our business has evolved, I'm sure similar to yours, is that we do work at risk on a lot of matters because we want the, to get the in on, mm-hmm. you know, complex high value matters that have a very good chance of success. So, you know, my view of the, the funding market is it remains entrepreneurial, remains nimble. Um, you know, I think in the disputes market is obviously, you know, rising at the moment in terms of, you know, what's happening against the economic background. I think from our perspective, we still need to, showcase our value because there's, there's enough keyboard warriors out there, you know, getting the public record information and that doesn't always get you to the end results. But um, yeah, I think that, as I think as you've said, Fraser, there's probably going to be a rebalancing of primary legislation here. So hopefully it's just a, a short period of uncertainty.
0: Right. Thanks for that. Um, Ramon, I actually wanted to hold you to um, a previous point you made, which is about the impact on investigations. Um, when we'd previously discussed this, you'd mentioned that you know there needs to be a task force, which you touched upon today as well. Um, but have you seen any recent instances um, about how we've run investigations for funders that has materially changed since the judgment or not? This is a bit where I don't have an answer. Um,
3: well, I, I mean, I, I, I'll help you out, Ramon. You, you owe me a beer at this
1: point. Well, yeah. I'll give you <laughs> um, and, yeah, a but, uh, <laughs> and a snow globe, yeah. I don't. I,
3: I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it will really impact your end of the telescope. Your 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 involvement in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really it will just come down to contracts, and yeah. and and really, it's a case of it will look expensive mm-hmm. in terms of multiples. Um, I mean, the the other point is having a multiple only. um, Really, if things don't, if you don't achieve the particularly in asset recovery. Let's say you're owed, uh, you're chasing down a hundred million pound judgment, and you get to the point where actually you've got fifty million, Mm. firmly identified.
0: Yeah,
3: and let's be honest: the longer you go, the more expensive it is. So, getting that last fifty million, it may the juice may not be worth the squeeze. So at that point you're looking going right okay so we've we've got fifty million we've taken five from Funder the terms are return of capital plus three times capital so you're already into twenty million so on the recovery of fifty claimants getting thirty
0: yeah
3: right yeah. and the waterfall will generally work that Funder gets the first bite of the cherry
0: mm-hmm.
3: so if that that's it's it's the claimant end and then the claimant might say well. Hang on a minute. How do we find the other 50? Well, if you take more money from funder, it's going to be more expensive. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, there is that sort of, that's why I say you uh, can have all of nothing or part of something, um, would, would be my point. But uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's directly on point of the question you asked, but it, it, I think it's there or thereabouts. Yeah, I think where fudging. I was
0: going was, um, you know, if you, if you think of getting a new funder into the mix, then...
3: How does it? Oh, heavens. Yeah. Uh, getting a new funder into the mix. Yeah.
0: To fund, um, fund the residue. That's
3: tricky. Yeah. That's tricky on a number of levels because um, old funder rightly will take the view, well, you know, without us, you wouldn't have got to this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: New funder will take us a sort of white knight view, which is without us, it's not achieving the outcome.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: And it's trying to get the two degree. But you probably have this with investigations, don't you? Yeah on a yeah. handover, takeover type scenario. Yeah,
1: we, we do. I mean, I think I think one overarching point, just to your question, Akash, is that, you know, the good thing about litigation funding is that, you know, at the outset of a case, and it, it you know, you're looking at enforcement, yeah. which sounds crazy to think that you wouldn't be looking at enforcement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the front loading of that spend, and certainly on, you know, on lawyers, on funders, on investigators is a really positive um, trend um, and one that ultimately helps the client, right? Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of work, a lot of work, certainly in the investigation space can traditionally be looked at as an, as a discretionary spend and a good to have, but not a must have, which I yeah. think is incorrect and wrong. Um, but yeah, I think that's been a very positive development.
3: Well, and to your point about the ongoing involvement, your task forcing,
0: right.
3: if you haven't if you're not monitoring, if you're not monitoring even at the desktop levels, your keyboard warrior, mm-hmm. and let's say your, mm-hmm. your your respondent in civil proceedings is a well capitalized um, corporation, yeah, you would be mad not to be monitoring how that organisation mm-hmm. performs, yeah, because that's got to be part of your investment decision, you know, and and so when you extrapolate that into an asset recovery against a, 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 an individual whom everyone believes is worth mm-hmm. lots, you've actually got to – so it's a, it's a civil fraud, right? Question mm-hmm. one, um, where's the money? And, and then the question for that is, well, wh- why are we looking for the money? Well, we're trying to establish whether the respondent can pay mm-hmm. and whether they will pay. Well, it's reasonable to suppose with a fraudster, they're never, they've got no intention of paying. So as soon as mm-hmm. Fraser issues some kind of um, summons or you know fa- um, sends a claim, are they going to stop dissipating assets? Mm, bet your bottom yeah. dollar they're not. Mm. And in some respects, that's why I say if you could, if people like you can be involved before that happens and work with the legal team and establish that trust. You have got that work constant work stream throughout. And actually, people like Fraser, Fraser still has conduct of the matter and is still running mm. it. But what he's actually saying is, right, chaps, what what's happened? You know, when I've when we've done that, have you seen a change in the position of what's going on? You say, well, actually, yeah. yeah. We've identified a new car. We've identified a new house. We, we didn't mm-hmm. know that they had a presence in um, Switzerland. We saw them fly to Switzerland and drive to Liechtenstein. Okay, well, that's worth investigating. What can yeah. we find there? Yeah. But so all you, that's very expensive. All these... I, I, I absolutely agree. But so, so, is, so is getting a Norwich call and finding mm-hmm. out it's not worked.
0: I'll do your deal, JP. How
3: about that? <laughs> what, 75% discount?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good point, actually, because the case Ramon was talking about where we found him, found the subject dissipating $30 million mm. in real estate assets. Um, he listed them for private sale mm-hmm. with real estate agents. And the mm-hmm. only way we were able to find that out is by actually talking to people on the ground mm-hmm. and remaining in contact. Mm-hmm. And then these estate agents sent us brochures saying, you know, do, do you want to have a look at these properties mm-hmm. and they're up for sale? So had the monitoring not kept up, we would have missed those estimates. So,
3: And that's a key point, because in this digital age, if you really think for one second,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and, and sorry, um, uh, let, let's be clear. We've, we've just seen an absolute instance over the weekend with with Hamas in Israel, right? Everyone's yeah. asking the question of what happened. It's quite simple. Hamas have been running human, hu- human networks for a long, long time. And there's a mm-hmm. way to get around technical surveillance. It's, re- mm-hmm. it's not that. It's not that difficult, so and that's the worst case. But to take your point, and and then trying to follow these guys and get into it, it is absolutely there is always a value. So long as you can adduce, you can gain intelligence that Fraser can adduce as evidence, and in no way unpicks what you're doing. There is absolute value still in human intelligence. I would say,
1: yeah, I I completely agree, and you know it's that. It's that evidence which won't be available, you know, on the surface from, you know, doing public record searches. It's the information that comes out out of those conversations, as Akash has has pointed out, which will then lead you to evidence.
3: Uh, And there's another point when you look through it. So if you if you look, let's analogizing for a second, looking through a camera, you're you're only seeing a lens view and you're not getting an atmospheric. You're not getting a feel. Whereas using the Mark 1 eyeball on the ground, you can literally say, hang on. That doesn't feel right. There's either the presence of something abnormal or the absence of something you would normally expect.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and that is, you know, you might, and, and it could be anything. Yeah. You know, it could be a number of things. You might say, well, hang on, there's no for sale sign outside. Mm. It might be, well, oh, hang on, I've just seen, just seen the daughter of the subject go into the estate agent. What's she doing? Oh, she works there. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. You know, yeah. all that kind of stuff starts building a picture.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, getting around the atmosphere, it's getting the cultural nuance as well, depending on where, you know, the respondent might be domiciled, either family members are nominees, what the kind of shareholding structure is, that all really feeds into what, you know, you want to build a colour picture, ultimately. Yeah.
2: What do you make of that, Fraser? I mean, is the answer not for control risks to merge with Hereford
3: and provide the ultimate funding? <laughs> and um, I don't
2: know
1: who's going to buy who. Well,
3: yeah. I, think, I think I'm far too junior to be involved in any of those sorts of conversations. But I mean, is, there, frankly, is that not a
2: serious point that if, if if we've all agreed that funding is, is you start at the back end, you identify the assets. There has to be a much, I hope there should, there should be, it has to be a much closer relationship between funders and investigations, um, because they are they are symbiotic in a sense, I, I think on certain
3: types I, of planes. I, I, I think that's happening.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, I think we're we being used in a more symbiotic manner. And in the last few years, I've noticed funders take more of an interest in hiring investigators early on, to Ramon's point, which is, you know, the, I think the sector's maturing. People see the value in using investigators mm. early and through the life cycle of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about a merger yet, but it, seems, <laughs> it, it, it certainly seems to be happening, you know, the, the use of investigators early on.
3: We're, we're, I, I think these offices, there's a cultural difference between the two, just looking at the offices. The this offices is, these are very yeah. modern and, and Hereford is quite traditional.
0: You, know, you, say. you look
3: like
2: you work in a museum. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably more reflective of me than the workplace, quite frankly. Um, but there we go. Uh, coming back to, you know, the PACA and, um, you know, where litigation funding is headed. Um, so we have a snow globe which has been shaken. Snowflakes are falling. We can see some settle, some heading towards an area where we think they're going to settle. But I want to ask you two uh, two questions, JP. Mm. Firstly, do you see any impact in arbitration funding? And secondly, does this open up the world of offshore claims? Um,
3: let's deal with offshore claims firstly. Oh, there's always been offshore claims. Yeah, um, I think, yeah. Uh, would we see what might have been an English dispute becoming an offshore dispute? Mm-hmm. That will depend on the facts and, and of each case and whether that's possible. Mm-hmm. So um, and I'm, I haven't really dealt with ones where there's a 50-50 call as whether we go, whether a claim is raised in England or whether it's raised in an offshore jurisdiction. So, So it, it would be very fact-specific. Coming to your... First point. Remind me what it is again, Sorry, I was so busy deep thinking about that one.
0: Any ob- impact arbitration. on ar- arbitration funding? I don't
3: think yeah. so, Fraser. What's your sense? Is you? I mean, you deal quite a lot. You've dealt with a lot more arbitration over the Yeah. Respect. So
2: I think the position has been that the arbitration centres will enforce third party um, litigation funding. Um, that if that litigation funding agreement is governed by English law and the seat of the arbitration is England, then it will be impacted by this case. It it will. So then the follow-on question is, well, why not use other centres, exactly. other jurisdictions, um, more attractive in the short term until this lacuna is addressed? Yeah, that is that is a, a real thing um, and, and needs to be quite carefully thought through by
3: parties entering into contracts.
1: Because there's places now. like Singapore,
3: aren't there? So, very attractive so it's
1: very places. Very active. Yeah. Yep.
3: Uh, active and and you, were you in Istanbul for the Turkish Arbitration Week? I certainly was. Yes. So that so. must be growing as a seat of arbitration as well.
0: It is. There. I um, think my takeaway was there are many large Turkish companies, which are now trying to um, use Istanbul as an arbitration center for their disputes. Mm -hmm. And they have contracts all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And they've entered uh, many emerging markets because they're cost competitive compared to Western companies, Mm -hmm. infrastructure companies mainly. Mm -hmm. And um, they've had issues. And instead of um, trying to arbitrate in the West, Mm -hmm. um, they're being drawn increasingly towards Istanbul. How successful it is, I don't know yet. Yeah, but time will tell. Time will tell. But regional centres do seem to be coming up and seem to be favoured by um, countries which have recently started expanding um, to new jurisdictions. Well,
3: of course, if you're a Turkish company. I would think culturally, you'd rather you'd rather have your exactly. dispute arbitrated in on home turf. Yeah, yeah. I should think.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're dealing with a lot of claims uh, arising from North Africa, right? Libya, um, mm-hmm. the Middle East as well, mm-hmm. uh, and Africa where large infrastructure companies mm. um, have gotten into trouble with um, the non-payment of, of their dues.
2: Are they are they applying English law in these arbitrations or is it Turkish law or is it? depending on the governing law. Well quite, yeah, but it would be interesting to see them applying English law in Turkey in a Turkish arbitration centre. Mm-hmm. I still think that English law remains attractive yeah. as a governing law clause because of its certainty and because of its precision. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to be the job of all of us in this room to sell that to the world <laughs> uh, because it remains a, a very a fundamental export of this country is its professional services and, in particular, its legal services. So if we depart from that and surrender it to places mm-hmm. like Istanbul, then we give away a really important pillar of the, our, our, our economic purpose. And we all, sitting in this room and beyond behind us, rely on that. So yes. we should take a keen interest on those developments.
3: Well, and I think that's why, I think that's why we're all quietly confident there will be a regulatory amendment mm-hmm. to to address the issues raised by PACAR. um of course I, you, I may be professionally embarrassed if that doesn't happen but <laughs> there we go I'll, I'll wear that
0: understood um so the takeaway really is we are still waiting for the dust to settle but there seems to be a way out if you take a step back and just look at the overall picture as Fraser said um is there anything else I should have asked you but I haven't um Fraser why don't you go first
2: I think we covered a lot of the ground, but I would like to reiterate that again that the and you've kind of touched on it, but I will emphasize it that there's nothing in this judgment that says funding is wrong. Everyone agrees that it is a good thing, and the market will continue and survive and hopefully thrive. So, in in and the agreements in place are enforceable so far as they comply with the regs. If they don't, severability you can take practical steps. But if you are involved in litigation funding and you as a, as a solicitor or a funder, you'll probably want to take action pretty quickly to get that all important C word certainty into your cases. Understood. Thanks Fraser.
3: JP? Um, no, I think Fraser's covered it all quite frankly. Well, done, Fraser. <laughs> <country. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, it's, it's a wait and see, it's changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and actually I'll, the only thing I would add to what Fraser said, you know, Fraser earlier said, you know, it, funding is comparatively still quite a, a, a sort of young sector. Yeah. And, I think we can see this PACAR aspect or dynamic as part of that maturing process.
1: Um,
0: so I, I hope I'm proven right on that. but Just another step in the journey. Yeah, I think so. I think Thanks. so. Ramon? Yeah, I was
1: going to say that it's another point in, in evolution for the litigation funding industry. And I think it's a positive dialogue to have. It's going to enable you know, parties to protect their interests. And ultimately, as we've discussed, I think there'll be a, a redress of the balance via... You know, a regulatory amendment or, or primary
0: legislation. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, thanks for sharing your thoughts. And I hope that our listeners have found this useful. Thank you. Thanks, Akash. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and be sure to check out our other podcasts as well, such as Decrypt the podcast making sense of the cyber and technology issues impacting business. For all our analysis and information about services we offer to organizations worldwide, visit controlrisks.com.